Slavery is back. Welcome to a place where private business profit from a captive labour force, yet pennies are spent on medical services to a population in which the Indigenous, the poor and the mentally ill are overrepresented. Where isolation, humiliation and degradation are facts of life. Welcome to prison. It depends who's telling the story, I suppose. The prisoners would have one view. The people who work in the prison system would have another. And I think it's up to people to decide uh, you know, where the truth is. Give government propaganda and the media spin doctors the flick. And check out Doin' Time for news, views and tunes on prison issues from Guantanamo Bay to Christmas Island to prisons and detention centres everywhere. Every Monday at 4pm on your community radio 3CR. We are still fired up and we're still talking about revolution. Hello and welcome to the Doing Time Show. This is 3CR Community Radio, 855am on the dial, streaming live on www.3cr.org.au. This is Marissa and I'll be taking you through until 5 o'clock this evening. And a warning that this episode may contain audio images of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people that have died. First up on the show, we will hear from Brett Collins from Justice Action about some really important projects. He's just come back from an international conference in Kenya and follow up in Adelaide with the world leading prison authorities, commissioners, etc. And I'm going to be speaking with Brett about this because it's just really important work that he's doing and we'll talk about that. Then we will speak with Scott Cosgrove, senior lawyer from the Human Rights Law Centre. And we're going to be speaking with him about the Albanese government taking responsibility for those abandoned in in PNG. So first up, we'll speak with Brett and we'll speak to him also about some negotiations with the Declaration for Detainee Telecommunication Rights as well. Hello, Brett. Welcome to the program. Yes. G'day, Marissa. It's lovely to have you. We have had some technical difficulties, but let's see how we go. Now, um, just to recap, we're speaking with Brett Collins from Justice Action. And Brett, I'm wondering if you could just talk about what you've been doing. I believe you've been doing some wonderful projects. Well, look, we've had some, we've been working really hard. We have a nice team of people, probably maybe 50, maybe 60 people working with um, with us um, over a period of a week. So we have a lot of good energy and um, and uh, we're um, running hard. Um, the most important thing we've um, we've been working on, in fact, for 20 years is getting um, access to computers into cells. And we've achieved it here in New South Wales. So every every prisoner in New South Wales now has or will have within the next week a computer, a computer tablet or laptop in their cells. And that gives them access to phone calls in their cells, access to video calls coming in, not quite happened yet, but also access to whitelisted websites where they can have do things like education. They can also do counselling. So a whole lot of things now um, are now going into into New South Wales prisons. And um, and in behind that, we went into, into we went to Kenya and uh, into this international conference um, for uh, run by this organisation called Cure. It um, has, uh, uh, has a special relationship, a, a consultative relationship with the United Nations. So it's really based in, in Washington, D.C., and um, they've had uh, conferences all around the world, and this particular one was taken to Kenya. We had the chance to present what they've been doing here in New South Wales uh, to the Kenyan conference, and they said, we, we should have a declaration up about it. So we then, um, over the period of uh, five days, five-day conference, working with lawyers, working with other people in the in the conference, put together the Nairobi Declaration for Detainee Telecommunica- Telecommunication Rights, which is the right to have access in your cell, um, access to information, talk to your family, access to counselling, all the other things um, in, a, in, a, um, in a regulated way. So within certain limits, you know, just not an open slather, but it means you do have access to communication with your family and things like that. Wonderful. So, so you went to the conference in Kenya, let's put this in context, and then you went to Adelaide, the, the Justice Action also went to Adelaide as well. Are they connected, these two projects? Yes. 
Yes, absolutely. Well, you see, what we achieved in in, um, in Kenya was an international agreement and, and, and a declaration, which um, has standing. It has standing as an international instrument. So, so what we then did was take that um, that uh, declaration back into into Adelaide, where another um, international conference was occurring. It was actually run by this organisation called the International Corrections and Prisons Association, the ICPA, which is actually is based in Belgium. And, um, and it took its, uh, it had its conference down in Adelaide um, to talk about technology, technology in prisons, which is exactly what um, we had just achieved in, in uh, Kenya. So we took that um, to the, the 300 delegates. So all these people from all around the world, probably half were out of Europe and, and America and, um, and, of course, many people in Australia. And, and, and Victoria, without a doubt, there were Victorian representatives there as well. And, um, and at that conference, we had a chance to speak about, what, um, the, about the Nairobi Declaration for Telecommunication Rights. Very significant issue. And the opening panel, when we had a chance to, to get up and talk, and we, of course, addressed the 300 delegates as soon as we could, um, the opening panel said, look, we support those principles. And so we're in, the, in the, right now in a situation where we can, could get and we expect to get um, support in behind all the prison administrators for the idea of a person in their cell having access to counselling, access to information, access to communication, and in fact breaking down the isolation of the prison cell. And that's, we're very um, excited about what that actually means. Absolutely. So can you talk a little bit more about the Charlie communication rights? Look, absolutely. Well, I mean, the best thing is, you know, the declaration itself. I mean, there are five um, particular statements. There's the, you know, the right to declaration, the right to um, to uh, communication through um, through into the cells. So the first thing is, to, one, is to communicate with others through telecommunications, email, messaging and video calls. That's the first one. Two, the right to express themselves publicly. So you're not silent sitting in a cell at all. Haha, <laughs> you have the right to actually say things and to be listened to. That's important. Three, to receive publicly available information, including but not restricted to legal, telehealth, education, and counseling information. Right? Four, earn payment <laughs> in a cell, earn payment for services rendered in their private time. So when you're in your cell, not a slave, you can do what you want to do and even earn money, comma, enabling them to maintain their families, contribute to society and prepare for release. And the fifth thing, access to such services on the same level of availability and financial basis as water, food and bedding. Ah, so that's in fact, in fact a very strong statement about the entitlement to, um, to um, communications and to be part of the general community. Um, and for that, and for for publicly funded counselling and access to websites, all that information that's currently up, which is not available to prisoners at the moment, should be made available. And that's the thrust of the of this of this declaration. Very significant. And that's actually that that pertains also to Australia, Brett. I'd really what I'd like to do because we've had a few technical difficulties on today. I'd like to um, have you on again sometime really soon because I'd like to speak a bit more about this topic. Um, and I know Justice Action is um, is a prison group, isn't it, in um, in New South Wales? But you you service obviously the whole of Australia, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Look, this is a win for everyone. It's intended to be not even only for people inside the prisons. It's intended to be for people in the psychiatric institutions. Absolutely. Detention, right? Immigration detention. Exactly. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming onto the program. Um, it's We've been able to, to at least talk about it on air generally, but I'd like yes. to have you back again. I'll email you and we can speak again in a couple of weeks because I've got my next interview coming on. Um, <laughs> you, okay. There's just That's been good. a few technical issues at the station. That's fine. Okay, Marissa, lovely to speak with you, and have, have, you have a fine audience, and I like the energy you put into it. Oh, Thank it's you. it's, and we've got our radiothon at the moment, so we're we're looking to meet our target. Obviously, prisoners do not have bank accounts, um, so so please donate to three CR and to and to do in time. Wonderful. Thanks, okay. Brett. Thanks, Marissa. Thank okay. you. Okay. Bye bye. And that was Brett Collins um, from Justice Action speaking about um, lots of things, really, and the telecommunications for detainees. It's really important to to have that and for, for prisoners to have computers in their cells to overcome isolation and, and other um, deprivations in regards to information. 
And I'm going to go do an announcement and presently we're going to be speaking with Scott Cosgriff, Senior Lawyer from the Human Rights Law Centre. Stay tuned. No to nuclear submarines. Come to the public forum to hear why Australia should reject the plan to spend $368 billion on the AUKUS Defence Alliance. Speakers include former Environment Minister Peter Garrett, Arthur Roris of the South Coast Labor Council, Medical Association for Prevention of War Vice President Dr Margie Beavis and AMWU State Secretary Tony Mavramatis. Chaired by the Australian Conservation Foundation's Dave Sweeney, this forum is on Friday the 23rd of June at 6pm at the Victorian Trades Hall in Carlton. The event is free. To book your tickets, head to trybooking.com and search for nuclear submarines. The No AUKUS Coalition Victoria is a 3CR supporter. Throughout the month of June, we will be asking you, the listener, to support radical, community-owned media during our Radiothon. We'll be taking donations online, over the phone and in the station to help keep 3CR going for another year. Fierce, independent community media is vital and we need your support to keep radical voices and issues on the airwaves. To donate, go to 3cr.org.au. Call the station on 03 or drop in at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy, during business hours. 3CR, stay tuned, stay radical. And you're back with the Doing Time show. And we're going to be speaking now with Senior Lawyer for the hum- from the Human Rights Law Centre. Hello, Scott. Welcome to the program. Hi there. Thanks for having me. Lovely to have you, Scott. Look, I gave a little bit of an intro at the beginning in regards to the fact that, you know, the, the, the Human Rights Law Centre has done a lot of work in regards to refugees and asylum seekers. Can you talk about the media release and, and discuss with us, you know, what's actually happening and why is PNG being abandoned? Yes. Well, a month from today, it's going to be 10 years since Kevin Wright announced that anyone arriving by boat to seek asylum would be sent to Nauru or PNG and would never settle in Australia. And it looks like we are going to hit that sorry milestone while there are still people who arrived in 2013 uh, who were trapped offshore. Um, PNG stands out because there are far more people stuck there than there are in Nauru at this stage, people who were previously detained um, in the detention centre on Manus Island for many years. Um, in Nauru, the numbers have been coming down. It looks like, and this is very welcome, um, that the government might be able to get everybody off Nauru in the coming days or weeks. Excellent. The problem is that there are still more than 80 men stuck in PNG, most of them living um, in very difficult conditions in Port Moresby, and we're calling for the government to take the same approach to um, once and for all giving those people some safety and security and allowing them to get on with their lives. So... It's fantastic, isn't it? Like the number of people remaining in Nauru continues to fall as a result of transfers to Australia, as you say, and resettlement in other countries. Why is it that that there's so many people trapped in PNG, particularly with many health problems caused by years of detention, isolation and medical neglect? It's really a question for the government, but we can look a little bit to the, to the history um, of some fairly arbitrary decision-making. Yes. It was arbitrary in the first place who got sent offshore and who didn't. It was arbitrary who got sent to which country. And then very recently, in 2021, there was an announcement from the Australian government, it was the coalition in power at the time, and the PNG government, that it was it was all over, that uh, the arrangement for PNG and Australia to, to have this regional processing policy had come to an end. 
Um, and of course, that's very welcome. Should never have happened in the first place. The problem was that when Australia withdrew and said we no longer have anything to do with offshore processing in Papua New Guinea, there were still more than 100 people there. And they remain Australia's responsibility, no matter what the announcement is. From the day they've arrived in Australia, they have been entirely under the control of the Australian government. They were deprived of their liberty for years in that detention centre in Manus. They were then shunted around from accommodation site to accommodation site for years, all under the control of the Australian government. And the Australian legal framework continues to give the power to um, to the Australian authorities to bring them to Australia. Um, it's simply a denial of reality to say that the Australian government is no longer responsible for their, their safety and for their future. Indeed, and I have actually done quite a bit of research on this topic and have come up with the conclusion that PNG is, and what's happening there, is only sourced through alternative media. And it, it appears that the mainstream media really doesn't have a lot of information. They don't have a lot to say about this topic. I wonder why. Yeah, there's certainly been problems with transparency all along the way. There are multiple reasons for that. In some way, locking people up on islands has always been a, a matter of um, hiding from the public the reality of some of these policies. We've also seen some really um, obvious barriers to investigative journalism, really exorbitant visa fees for journalists to enter Nauru that effectively made it poss impossible for many years. Um, and perhaps also um, media losing interest. Um, the, the situation has been dire for a very long time. Um, and uh, it, it, it's certainly the case that since it's been a bipartisan been a bipartisan policy, there's been less interest in coverage in Australia. And it's interesting to see that how much coverage there's been from other countries. Um, yeah. European and, and the New Zealand media, for example, are, are at the moment paying much more attention to this as a, as a news story than um, many outlets in Australia. Scott, can you describe to listeners the process and what happens to... How, how are asylum seekers and refugees transferred to PNG. So, so for example, is it the same process as Nauru? So PNG, it, it, like people that are stuck there, they're refugees from from Iraq and other countries. Is that right? Look, I think the first thing for people to understand is that the people that are still in Nauru and PNG are people who arrived in Australia in 2013. No one new has been sent since that very first period. Um, and... Subsequent to that, people who were, were, were arriving in Australia by, by, by boat were simply being turned around um, under the, the turnbacks policy, rapid returns by, by plane or by, by sea. So we're talking about people who arrived almost 10 years ago who are still there. Um, their typical experience was being detained on Christmas Island or another detention centre for, for a short period before they were involuntarily put on planes and taken to those two places. Um, again, an arbitrary decision, but family groups were, were generally sent to Nauru. Um, Manus Island was was thought to be just for, for adult men, although there were some, some mistakes made and children accidentally sent to, to Manus Island as well. Um, but I, I, at the bottom of it all, there's really been no process. In it, 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 a process that leads nowhere. Um, people often talk about, you know, people being processed, people being processed. Well, the process has led to nothing. It's been a warehousing of humans over now a decade for the people who remain there. Um, people did go through a refugee status determination, which indeed confirmed that the overwhelming majority of people coming to Australia by boat were people with legitimate fears of persecution who were eligible for refugee status. Um, but the, the, the fundamental problem is that there's never been um, solutions for everybody. Australia has um, worked on trying to convince other countries to 
give people the option to travel there and rebuild their lives in safety there. Uh, for some people, that's happened. There are people who have resettled in the United States and uh, more recently in New Zealand and other countries as well. Um, but there's never been enum- enough spots under those arrangements to to give everyone uh, a future in another safe country. Um, and throughout the period, people's um, health has deteriorated in really sorry and predictable ways. Um, and I think the 10-year um, milestone is um, just a, a, a reminder and a chance to take stock of just how damaging the policy's been. Would you say that uncertain visa status has been weaponised to further punish people who have been transferred and compel them to accept resettlement in third countries or return home? Yeah, well, this is the situation for people who have been brought to Australia. They uh, have, in some ways, um, been more fortunate than the people who are still stuck in PNG right now. Because for the last two or four or, in some cases, eight, nine years, um, they have at least been in Australia where they can have some semblance of a life. Um, After they've been released from detention, um, you know, people have been able to cobble together some kind of um, livelihood. Um, The problem is that the policy remains that those people can never remain in Australia. That policy is somewhat at odds with the reality. We're talking about kids who were born in Australia who've never never left Australia and who Australian law says they actually arrived by boat and can never remain. Um, This is what we mean by visa status being used to punish and um, deter people. The um, government's position is that people should look into um, third country resettlement options. But again, the problem there is that there are fewer places than there are people who need them. And there are also so many cases of people who simply shouldn't be uh, required to restart their lives once again in another place. People, for example, who have um, uh, Australian partners or Australian children, um, is it really appropriate for the Australian government to be telling those people that they'll have to go and restart their lives in in another country once again after um, this ordeal of the last 10 years? Very punitive measures, Scott. And I I mean, I've had you on for a little bit longer. I hope that's okay. I just wanted to extend the interview because of the fact that PNG is rarely talked about. Yeah, it's it's a transparency issue um, for the reasons um, that that we discussed. Um, And it's uh, also that people are no longer... Um, all living in a detention centre. They're living in accommodation around Port Moresby um, and uh, they're still there uh, almost 10 years after they first arrived in Australia and uh, uh, they they shouldn't be forgotten and the Australian government shouldn't forget its responsibility for, for putting them there. So, in effect, Scott, specifically these people... Uh, are detained in PNG. So, for example, they, they can't work, they have to st- stay in accommodations like Nauru. Um, it's, the detention centre was on Manus Island. Since people have been in Port Moresby, they haven't been in, in a prison-like environment. But, gee, have they faced some really serious constraints on, on their lives. Talk to um, me about it. They, they, have, they have the... Um, in most cases, permission to work, but it's really difficult in PNG. Um, they haven't seen their families for 10 years. They, um, it, it's always been really uh, unrealistic to think that it's going to be easy for people who fled persecution, survived tragedy, and then been locked up by the Australian government for several years, can just um, pick up and uh, make a safe life in Port Moresby. Um, There are also serious health conditions 
that are quite clearly the direct results of their experience under the policy. And these are important also because they're, they're barriers to participating in third country resettlement processes. If you are so unwell um, that you can't uh, engage with a process that could get you um, to a safer place, um, then you are in a really vulnerable position and it's these sort of people that the Australian government at some point or another will need to account for. Absolutely. So what can what can the public do to help? Well, I think uh, the pressure on the government really just comes from people. Um, there's been a concerted campaign to make sure that this issue does not fall off the agenda by encouraging people to, um, with their communities, speak to their local members of parliament, make it clear that the, the people of Australia um, haven't forgotten that this continues to happen um, in our name and it needs to come to an end um, at some point. Um, so the, the calls for evacuation have been... Um, have been building for some time. It's, it's excellent to see some of those calls for evacuation landing on the government and leading them to get people off Nauru. What we really need to see is the same thing applied to Manus Island, people who are now um, living in, in Port Moresby. It really is a dreadful state of affairs, Scott, and I'm happy that you were able to come onto the show and talk about it. Are there any final comments that, that you'd like to make about this issue? Well, it, 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 this policy has inflicted untold suffering on people who were merely asking for safety almost a decade ago. Um, evacuating Nauru at last is exactly the right thing to do, better late than never. But anything less than the same approach to PNG is a profound failure of people who have been abandoned there and they, they shouldn't be forgotten. A severe violation of human rights indeed. It is. Scott, thank you so much for, for coming onto the program. Um, and I'm hoping that we're going to be able to have you back. Can you just um, let listeners know the website for the Human Rights Law Centre and also perhaps if you can, if you're able to, to source any reports that they can read? Any links? Yeah, material around this issue that we've produced is on our website at hrlc.org.au. The Asylum Seeker Resource Centre has also been really active um, on this issue and you can see their materials around uh, what you can do to help call for evacuation. Thank you so much, Scott. Keep up the good work. Thanks for having me. Bye-bye. Take care. And that was Scott Cosriff from the Human Rights Law Centre speaking about the deplorable failure of the Albanese government to take responsibility for the fact that asylum seekers and refugees are still stranded in Nauru. While the news is welcome that there are people going off Nauru, refugees going off Nauru as we speak, the same needs to be done for PNG. It's approximately 434 and I would actually like to um, very soon speak about Radiothon and do a little bit of work in regards to just thanking um, some people that have, that have pledged. But first of all, please listen to this announcement and I'll be back. Stay tuned. Wondering how to pay your donations to 3CR Radiothon? It's easy. You can pay online at 3cr.org.au or call us any weekday with your credit card details on 0394198377. You can also come into the station at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy during office hours and pay by cash. Or simply post your cheque or money order to PO Box 1277 Collingwood 3066. And be sure to tell us exactly which program you'd like your donations to go towards. 3CR, stay tuned, stay radical. And you're back with the Doing Time show. This is 3CR Community Radio. It's approximately 4.35 and 
Just wanted to just recap from last week. Last week was our special Radiothon show that happened last Monday. And I believe Radiothon is almost over, but it's not too late to donate. And I just wanted to give a little bit of a progress report on what's happening with the Do and Time show. But, but of course, donate to all shows at 3CR. And as I said earlier, you just heard an interview with with Scott Cosgriff, senior lawyer from the Human Rights Law Centre, and he was talking about PNG. And PNG, as I said, really isn't talked about too much in the mainstream media. And on 3CR, you do hear a lot of coverage um, that simply isn't talked about um, on other media sources. So I wanted to take this opportunity to thank all the people that have donated. And I've I did do some of that last week, but we have had some more donations coming in. So I thought I'd read them all out again in case people missed last week's show. But before I do that, I just wanted to um, say that the target is $850. And so far, we have made $590. So we have 260 left to go. And so it's really important. It's not too late to donate if people can call the station 94198377 and donate the rest of that 260. It's tax deductible. And if you do it before the 30th of June, you will get you will be able to claim that on tax. Every dollar counts. So I'm going to thank people, um, all of them again, and the additional people as well. Okay, here we go. So the first person to thank is Olivia. And she's donated $10. Thank you very much. Istra Melbourne, $30. David, $50. Thank you very much. Juliet, $20. Georges, $10. Pierre, $100. Teresa, $5. And Margaret, $50. Thank you so much to all of you. Pitt Street Community Paddington, $110. Bruce, $20. Robert, $100. Thank you so much. Cheryl and Claus, $65. Pillar, $20. So that's really lovely that... Um, you know, that, that people have been able to, to donate to the show and... I just wanted to take that opportunity to thank people again and, and to reiterate again that we have actually a remainder of $260. Please um, please donate. But in the meantime, I think because I don't want listeners to miss out on the lovely song that I was playing before when we had those technical difficulties, Little Things, Big Things Grow, and by Paul Kelly, and, and this is a really particularly lovely version with um, Kev Carmody. So I'll be bringing you that song right now. Gather round people, I'll tell you a story, an eight-year-long story of power and pride, British Lord Vesper. Vincent Lingyari for opposite men on opposite sides. Vesti was fat, money and muscle. Beef was his business, broad was his door. Vincent was lean, spoke very little. He had no bank balance, our dirt was his floor. From Things, big things grow from little things, big things grow. The Ringy were working for nothing but rations, but once they had gathered the wealth of the land, daily the pressure got tighter and tighter. The Ringy decided. They must make a stand They picked up their swags Started old walking At Waddy Creek They sat themselves down Now it don't sound like much But it sure got tongues talking Back at the homestead Then in the town Come with things 
Speaking his story to all kinds of men from all walks of life. Vincent sat down with them big politicians. This affair, they told him, it's a matter of state. Let us sort it out. While your people are hungry, Vincent said, No thanks. We know how to wait. From little things, big things grow. From little things, big things. Vincent Lignari returned in an airplane back to his country once more to sit down and he told his people let the stars keep on turning we got friends in the south in the cities and towns eight years went by eight long years of waiting to one day a tall stranger appeared in the land and he came with lawyers came with great ceremony through Vincent's fingers on that handful of sand. Go! From little things, big things grow. 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 You can be Aboriginal Idol. You can be Aboriginal Idol if you want to. Vincent Lignari, but this is a story, something so much more. How power and privilege cannot move a people who know where they stand when they stand in their And in case you've just tuned in, this is the Doin' Time Show, 3CR Community Radio, 855am on the dial, streaming live on www.3cr.org.au. And it's approximately 4.45 and we're nearing the end of our show, not just yet, but pretty soon. But in the meantime, I just wanted to read out a quick media release from the Human Rights Law Centre. It is in May, it was in May, but this is a very, very good 
article that I wanted to, to read out. And it's entitled, Independent Review Recommends Overhaul of Australia's Modern Slavery Laws. The Do and Time show has a long tradition of reading out media releases and articles as a part of the show because of the fact that a lot of our prison population are unable to get access to articles um, and probably they then they don't go on they can't go on the internet or um, they're not able to to um, to read and so it's really important to actually have that um, in case in case that happens lots of barriers from inside a coalition of human rights and academic organizations has welcomed the findings of an independent review independent review of the Modern Slavery Act and called on the Albanese government to urgently strengthen the law. The review, led by Professor John Macmillan, was tasked with considering the ACT's effectiveness over its three years of operation. The report acknowledges widespread views that there is no hard evidence that the Modern Slavery Act in its early years has yet caused meaningful change for people living in conditions of modern slavery. The report makes 30 recommendations aimed at strengthening corporate modern slavery responses and increasing regulatory oversight of the law, including requiring entities to have a due diligence system in place that will identify, monitor and address modern slavery risks, introducing penalties for entities that fail to submit a modern slavery statement, for including false information in a statement and for failing to have a due diligence system in place, introducing new reporting criteria that requires entities to report on modern slavery incidents identified annually. The coalition of organisations are calling on the Albanese government to implement these recommendations and ensure that the newly announced establishment of an independent anti-slavery commissioner be adequately resourced and mandated to provide effective oversight of the Act. Last year, academic and civil society partners released a major report and there's a link here which I won't read out because it's far too long. Just Google the Human Rights Law Centre. Um, so the, basically this is just an edited version of the article and it, basically it looks at failing to identify obviously modern slavery risks in their supply chains or take action to address them three years into the Act's operation. And then it talks about a survey. So I won't speak any more about this article because it's got some very, very long links. But it's really good that the Human Rights Law Centre has looked at um, you know, the, these reports to try and abolish slavery. I'm going to actually go out with another announcement. The Newport Folk Festival returns this year with a fantastic program of concerts, workshops and join-in sessions. There's a smorgasbord of music on offer with something for everyone to savour. Cajun, Celtic, Australian bush, skiffle, classical, choirs, storytellers. This welcoming community festival has it all. Friday the 23rd and Saturday the 24th of June in various Newport venues, all close to Newport Station. Check the program at newportfolkfestival.org.au. The Newport Folk Festival is a 3CR supporter. And it's approximately 5.49 and we're nearing the end of our show. So before we actually say goodbye, I just wanted to give listeners just a little bit more showcasing, if you like, of our work over the year because I felt like we may have missed a few things last week. So it's always good to go into a little bit more detail um, just so that listeners um, understand what we've been doing over the year. So... We've been doing Sandinese Afghan refugee protests in Indonesia, yarning about truth-telling, Uruk Justice Commission, SA proposed anti-protest laws, children in detention, neo-Nazi anti-immigration rally, Mole Creek Massacre, and indeed we've actually done a lot of work as well in 
with Lyndall Ryan, Professor Lyndall Ryan looking at the map of the massacres, Aboriginal massacres around Australia. May Day Stolen Wages, um, Uncle Ray Jackson Memorial, Unlocking Victorian Justice. And we've done a lot of work actually with the Victorian Aboriginal Legal Service. And we've looked at uh, like quite a few deaths in custody, including what happened with Veronica Nelson as, as, as a failure. She died as a failure of Victorian justice and healthcare in prison. Condemning anti-trans activism. Upcoming, there were some Palm Sunday events that we looked at for refugee and asylum seekers. And we also interviewed um, the the author of A Death in Custody on Palm Island, Jeff Waters, and looked at that. Queer people with disability at Sydney Mardi Gras as well. We've looked at the celebration of 50 years of the Victorian Aboriginal Health Service. We've looked at immigration redetention raids. We've also looked at TJ Hickey as well. We've commemorating him. And Goongara Environment Centre, we've done a lot of interviews with them in regards to the anti-protest laws um, for forest defenders. Public drunken, drunkenness laws and health and Aboriginal deaths in custody. Deaths in immigration detention. Veronica Nelson, coronial inquest. Tribute to young victim of racial profiling. National Suicide Prevention and Trauma Recovery, Abuse of Children in Australian Prisons, Broken Promises Rallies Attracting Hundreds Across Australia, Funeral for Uncle Jack Charles was also played on the Doin' Time show as well, Ending Torture in Australia and Overseas, Will the Ab Albanese Government End Torture in Australia? We did a series on that with the Human Rights Law Centre and other organisations um, like Justice Action. We had many contributors about that. And, of course, we can't forget all the tributes of elders, Aboriginal elders that have died. Australian Border Force inve investigates... Um, sorry, Australian Border Force and also Victoria Police excessive use of false. The Do and Time Show has a very long tradition of, of doing that. It's approximately 4.53 and we're going to be going pretty soon and I'm going to be, this is a very low-key show today, really, really looking at summarising what we've done over the year and we'll be bringing you far more extensive coverage, of course, in the next couple of weeks. Throughout the month of June, we'll be asking you, the listener, to support radical, community-owned media during our Radiothon. We'll be taking donations online, over the phone and in the station to help keep 3CR going for another year. Fierce, independent community media is vital and we need your support to keep radical voices and issues on the airwaves. To donate, go to 3cr.org.au. Call the station on 03 or drop in at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy during business hours. 3CR, stay tuned, stay radical. Every form of discrimination that exists in our community is magnified and utilised by prisons to cause greater division and disarm solidarity. We've got to really put a lens of perspective on this and know that there are children being incarcerated as young as 10 years old. Police and prisons, they're doing exactly what this colony wants them to. Who do we defend? Police. And who else? Prisons, pull them down. Hey. 3CR Radiothon 2023. Stay tuned, stay radical. To donate, call 039 419 8377 or donate online at 3cr.org.au. And 
it's time to say goodbye. It's approximately 4.55 and we're going to be going out pretty soon with our theme song, Black Fella, White Fella by the Rumpy Band. And stay tuned every Monday from 4 to 5 for the Do and Time show and we'll be definitely giving you a lot of extensive coverage coming up for the year. Thanks so much. Bye. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Are you?